You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Awesome. Stay standing with me as I open up the Word and open up in prayer as we open up the Word of God. Father, this is the greatest privilege we have on this earth, gathering together as your people to praise the mighty name of our God. Nothing sweeter, Lord, than fellowship with the Holy Spirit and the body of believers. God, I pray today as we open up your word, Father, would you move us, would you motivate us, would you mold us and make us who you want us to be? Would you once again, oh God, cause us to fall on our knees and to see in this life that there is one great reality, that is our God. That there is one great person worth pursuing, that is Jesus Christ. And with Jesus, we have everything, and without you, oh God, we have nothing. Help us to leave here this morning, God, worshiping you. Speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to take a seat this morning and turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. This is one you probably have to dig your concordance out. Maybe 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Genesis, Exodus, you know where we're going? Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. What's after Judges? Ruth. Ruth. Ah, someone forgot Ruth, right? <laughs> Don't forget Ruth. That's my wife's name too. Can never forget Ruth. <laughs> What's after Ruth? Come on, help me out. You don't know, do you? Quick, get your concordance out. Samuel, then Kings, then Chronicles. See, here we go. Don't know our word as much as we thought, do we? Might have even heard of Nehemiah. <laughs> Second Chronicles, chapter 7, 14. If you don't have a Bible, stick your hand up. I should be more than happy to get a copy of God's word in your hand. We believe this book in our church. We study this book. We don't go any further than this book. And so every Sunday I get up and I tell you not what I think, because who cares, right? I tell you what God thinks, and so we're going to do that again this morning. Uh, before we get too far, happy Canada Day, everybody. Isn't it an amazing country we live in? We have much to be thankful for in Canada, don't we? Much to be thankful for. In fact, I was reading studies over this past week, and a recent uh, pretty prestigious poll pointed out that Canada is the number two place, number two place to live in the world. For three years running, Canada is number two. All kinds of reports that tell us as they take things into account like adventure and cultural influence and business opportunity and safety and health care and quality of life. And it just seems in Canada we have so much to be thankful. We have it all. We have freedom, we have affluence, we have peace, we have a beautiful country from coast to coast, we have the mountains out in BC and the oceans out in, in, you know, on the, in the East Coast, and then we have Saskatchewan and Manitoba, they fit in here somewhere, I'm sure there's beauty there somewhere. <laughs> Kidding, we have beauty from coast to coast, don't we? Mountains, rolling hills, lakes, we, we have it all. We have uh, so much fr freedom, we have at our disposal like all these like skiing and hiking and hockey, we have everything, we have some solid industry, you know, you put a little flag on your 
travel stuff, right? Because we go anywhere, and what does everyone say? We love Canada. We love Canada. We have so much to be thankful for. We often say, often, I hear this, we're so blessed. We're so blessed. And yes, we're blessed with God's common grace. But let me ask you a question this morning. Are we really blessed if we have everything in the world, but we don't have God? Are we really blessed? Lots to be thankful for. I'm not minimizing that. But are we really blessed if, if, if we have all the resources at our disposal but we miss out on salvation in Jesus Christ and the gospel? Are we really blessed if everybody likes us and we accept everything yet stand for nothing even when it comes to the things of God? Are we really blessed? I know, I know people tell you, you're a country, though, it's, it's 10% evangelical, 10% evangelical, so we have a lot. You know, even if we are 10% followers of Jesus Christ, which maybe, maybe it's a little less than that I'd propose, maybe about five, if you look at different studies. That leaves 90% of our culture that wants nothing to do with God, that is going the opposite direction of God, and we're left as a true, very invisible minority. Are we really blessed? In some ways, yes, right? And in some ways, not at all. To truly be blessed, we need the one person that matters most. We need God. To truly be blessed, we need Jesus Christ. To truly be blessed, we need, I propose today, a spiritual awakening in our country to the things of God then we truly be blessed. I'm not trying to put a damper on your Canada Day celebrations today at all. I'm trying to help you see the greater urgency of our times and putting up some flags in your, on your front porch and, and going to the fireworks today. There's, there's some greater things we need to be worried about and, and concerned about and interested in as believers in Jesus Christ, and that is the godless reality of our culture. And if we truly love our country, we'll care about that and we'll want to be people who, who don't just sit back and say, oh, well, we got everything else. We don't, we don't have God. Well, that's okay. At least we have everything else. We wouldn't be that culture. We'd be that culture that's like, oh, man, we have everything, but we want God too. We want God more than all that stuff. There's actually a verse in the Bible that we've prayed a lot at prayer meeting. I haven't preached on it yet until this morning, uh, but I've been thinking about what I preached on Canada today. It was kind of in between series, and God kept bringing me back to this passage, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. It's one verse, but as I unpack it for you, you'll see how significant it is for us. It's a passage I believe God wants us to have in our hearts today and to leave here with an urgency for the people of Canada, whom, let me, let me remind you, God loves as well. says this in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. It's really a passage calling God's people to care about what matters most and that is that our culture has God. If my people humble themselves who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. I don't know about you, but this Canada Day, like that, that's my greatest hope for our country. Not that we'd have more relations with the U.S., that we have more affluence coming in, that our country would find God again. That's it. That is our greatest hope as believers, Amen. It's our greatest hope for our country. The context of this whole 
verse, remember we have to understand context, understand the verse, uh, chapter 6, Solomon finishes building the temple, the house of the Lord, and, and Solomon blesses the people in chapter 6 and, and bursts out into this eloquent and dramatic prayer of dedication for the temple of the living God. And he is praying, he is, he's asking for God's blessing, and, the, and, and he's bringing his people into the presence of God. And at the end of the chapter, in chapter 6, verses 40 to 42, he basically prays this, God, just because the temple is here doesn't mean anything, God, come and dwell within us, come and dwell among us. Hear our prayers, O God. Show us your salvation and shower us with your goodness. He knows what really matters, right? Not asking for all the things we generally ask for. He's asking for God. He says, God, keep loving us and being faithful to your promises. Chapter 7, verse 1, God hears. Fire came down from heaven and licked up all the burnt offerings, saying, yes, I hear and I accept your burnt offerings. He had another big sacrifice and a feast to God. God showed up in the middle of the night to Solomon. He says this. He's like, I hear your prayers, Solomon, and I am with you. Greatest words you could ever hear. God saying, I am with you. Then he says, now take to heart my promises. This is my own words. And heed my warnings. Walk with me is basically what he's saying. And when you fall into sin, repent, call out to me, and I'll restore you. Here's really what God's telling him in that last part of chapter 6, the first part of chapter 7. Don't forget what you need most, Solomon. It's not a temple. It's not material things. What do you need most, Solomon? It's me, God says. It's an important reminder for us, this Canada Day, as we think about all that we have and all that we are and where we're going, where our country is going. It's an important concept for us because then he gets to verse 17, or sorry, verse 14, and he says, hey, when you walk away, here's a simple solution. If you see culture becoming godless, here's a simple solution. Stop everything. Stop the presses. Stop everything. Get on your knees and call out to me that I'll restore your land again. Basically, he's saying if you really love your people, if you really love your country, You'll seek God above all else. Simply entitled this message today, Heal Our Land. Heal Our Land from 2 Chronicles 7.14. Here's the first point. When I truly love my country, when I truly love my country, I think all of us say we love our country. Have you ever traveled abroad? You come home and you're like, ha, home, Canada, sweet. But when I truly love my country... I pray for an outpouring of God's spirit. This is, what the, the, this is what the text is telling us. Start praying for an outpouring of God's spirit. God's instructions are to the nations of Israel. In verses 12 and 13, look what it says here. The Lord appeared to Solomon and said, I've heard your prayer and chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people... In other words, when you walk away from me, there's going to be consequences, Solomon. Don't forget that I'm the most important person in this whole, your whole universe. There's going to be consequences. Sometimes God in the Old Testament shut up the heavens to remind his people, hey, there's, there's someone out here that needs your attention. It's me. So he shut up the heavens. It didn't rain and famine came as a consequence to their sin. Sometimes he commanded the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among the people. In fact, in fact, if you look at the prayer of Solomon in, in chapter 6, he spells all these things out and he says, hey God, when this happens, almost assuming it's good because he knows the propensity of our own hearts. When this happens, like, like when the heavens shut up, when the pestilence is there, when, like, like, like just, just, just all we ask is that when we call out to you again, you just hear our prayers. And God says, bang on, Solomon, when this happens, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray. 
But it's not just to pray like a quick prayer of like, oh, God, would you heal our land? This is, I want you to pray like mad that I will restore your people to a vital living relationship. There's always consequences to sin. We should understand that by now, right? Even as God's people, God doesn't stop loving us, but there's consequences to sin. I know what you're thinking. Well, pastor, look, look at our land. We don't have any of these things in our land, so clearly it doesn't apply to us. We don't have famine. We don't have pestilence. You know, we, we have it pretty good. Maybe physically we have it pretty good, but you think sometimes this could be referring to maybe the spiritual climate more than the physical climate? Is it possible to have all the physical things and miss out completely in your soul? Is it possible to have all that we have in Canada and yet there be a spiritual drought of epic proportions in our land so that we are actually physically looking fantastic but spiritually emaciated and starving? Is it possible for the pestilence to not be a physical thing, but, but sin just ravishing people's lives and hearts? Absolutely. Is it possible that there's a spiritual realm that we don't see that we need to be concerned about in our country? For sure there is. In fact, Amos chapter 8, verse 11 says this. God says, behold, the days are coming declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, but not a famine of bread or thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. I'm not not trying to paint a bad picture of our country today. I love our country. But I also don't want to be the Christian people who stick our head in the sand and pretend everything's beautiful when it's not. And what we're experiencing in our country, the spiritual apathy, there's like, it's not like even a who God, it's a who cares God. It's not a new thing in, in the Bible. The Bible tells us, as we see in the book of Judges, we see this happen over and over again, over again. Judges chapter two, after Joshua died, he's the leader of the, the nation that was like bringing them towards God. And he's like, hey, hey, I'm taking you the things of God and the ways of God. After he died, Israel turned away. And then in chapter, in verse 10 of chapter two of Judges, it says that a whole generation grew up not knowing God or knowing about the works of God. Then in Judges chapter 21, 25, it says that at another time, there's in these days, everyone, there was no king. So what did everyone do? It was anarchy. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. The Old Testament's not useless for us. It helps us understand context and, and where we're at and, and we kind of see ourselves in different phases of the Jewish people's lives, and, and here's where I think we are. I think we are in the state of Judges 2 and Judges 21. Like, like, you look around, the people don't even know about Jesus or God anymore. You go to your kids' public schools, and you know what? Like, they've never heard of Jesus except for on the schoolyard, uh, uh, the curse word that comes out of people's lips. The word of God is dismissed as that's a, either old school or it's a myth, and Jesus is like, put in the category of Zeus. The Bible's in the category of like ancient literature, and You've seen the news too. You turn it on. The headlines aren't God glorifying, honoring things. It's, it's not the way God's designed us. The government, whether they realize it or not, whether I don't know, they're making all their decisions the exact opposite of what God would make if he was ruling this land. We could try and soften it and cuddle ourselves around it, but it's true. Isn't it? And more and more, we're feeling like this is our land, but yet it's like so contrary to God, we're almost like outsiders. Look at, look at the headlines. Like, like all of a sudden, like your kids can decide what gender they are assigned. And it's okay, it's right, and it doesn't matter who you sleep with or when you sleep with them, and marriage is being redefined. And 
We as Christians are like, oh, that's okay. At least we have all our stuff. It's not okay. It's just not. That's what God caused God to shut up the heavens. And then you see, you know, abortion. And we're killing kids left, right, and center. And euthanasia, well, I just don't feel like living anymore. It's my right to die. And so we take in basically the role of God. And we put ourselves there. And, and we're surprised that it's getting further away from God than closer. I only tell you that because that's the whole context for verse 14. God tells his people, if you ever find yourself in this place where the heavens are shut up, you're not experiencing God the way that you know you should be experiencing God. Physically, there's no rain. There's, the locusts are all over and the pestilence is among your people. If you ever find yourself in that place physically, just stop and think, maybe it's God's discipline. If you ever find yourself in that place spiritually, like, you ought to sit up and take notice and not be like, oh, well, who cares? We ought to care about these things because the defining reality of our lives as people, not just believers, is the reality of God. If we have God, we have everything. If we don't have God, we have nothing, even though we seem to have everything. Basically, verse 14 of 2 Chronicles 7 is saying, like, hey, hey, when you get to that place where you're not where, where God's exited stage left, start praying for revival. This is a revival verse. This is this is a start praying that God would move once again in your country in a way that's only can be only be attributed to God. Canada needs revival. That's my proposal for you today. Canada needs revival. Bill McDonald says this, verse 14 may, may very well be the golden text of the entire book of 2 Chronicles. Though originally addressed to the chosen nation of Israel, it has, it has rightly been applied to those nations which have a biblical heritage. It is a sure road to restoration and revival for all times. If the conditions are met, the promises are sure of fulfillment. Here's what revival means. The word revival is from the Hebrew word chaya, which means to bring back to life, to restore to consciousness, or restore to a previous condition. It's this idea that there is once something that was strong, it's fizzled, and it needs to be revived Think of like an industrial revival. I read in St. Catherine's Standard, apparently this area at one time was the, the central part of, one of the central parts of Canada's industrial heartland. And so the re recent years we've known it hasn't been that at all. So St. Catherine's Standard says there's, there's a revival of the economic times in this region and, the, and things are starting to happen. There's life again. There's reason to hope. If you're a sports fan, you know what revival is. The Leafs, apparently, long before I was born, actually were the king of the hill. And for my 43 years, they've been dead as a doornail, and they've been the bottom of the barrel. In the last few years, they're saying there's a revival of the leaves. There's some energy again. There's some excitement. There's some hope that, that maybe they're going to rekindle their, their glory days. And when it comes to spiritual things, it's, it's, that's more renewal. But when it comes to spiritual things, it's, it's even a deeper reality revival. It's not, it's not that you know, you're getting tired now. You need a little Red Bull to pick you up, or things are starting to look tired. You need a fresh coat of paint. Here's what biblical revival is. It's like things that, that used to be alive are now dead. And when you think of biblical revival, it's, it's not this picture of get the paint, a coat, paint out and put another coat on it. Biblical revival is this. It's a, it's a lifeguard dragging a lifeless body out of a pool or a lake. And like, hey, there's nothing going on here. There's no heartbeat getting on his face and breathing life into a corpse. That's what revival is. Come on, one, two, three, come on. Breathe, breathe, breathe. And when there is spiritual death, 
Our culture needs nothing more. We don't need more contracts with other countries. We don't, we don't need more, more well-wishers. You know what we need? We need God to put our country on its back and to start pumping and breathing life spiritually into our country again that we would breathe and we would love the Lord and we'd operate by God's ways. That's what we need in our country. There's ever a time to pray these types of prayers for our country and seek healing, it's now. If we love our land, we'll pray for our land. If we care about our country, well, we'll want more than anything to see God move in it. You want to see God move in it? You're like, sure, pastor, I'm buying in. I see it. Do you see it? It doesn't take much spiritual discernment to see it. Do you see it? I know we only like to focus on the good news in church. Just give me the good news, the bad news. I don't, just give me the, this is the reality. If you see it, if you see it, Here's what our recourse is, verse 14. Here's God's prescription for an awakening. If you are like me, you long to see an awakening uh, for God in this country. Here's what we do as God's people. We're not, we're not hopeless. We don't be like, oh, well, this is the way it is. Let's make the best of it, and let's just enjoy our life and get as comfortable as possible and enjoy the good things and not worry about those things. No, here's what we do as God's people. We care about these things, and look at it says in verse 14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, that's it. It starts where? It starts where? Where does revival start? Us, God's people. Who's going to care about this other than God's people? No one else cares about this stuff. We care because God's been so gracious to open our eyes to see. God's prescription for awakening starts with my people. Look at this. If my people. There's a big word at the beginning of that. What is the word? It's if. If. If my people. If what? If we start taking God seriously again. If we allow ourselves to be passionate about the things of God, if we allow God's perspective to take over our eyes and God's heart to beat within our hearts, we will see the urgency and necessity of not just our own, our own souls, but God's desire for this land. If we stop and consider how much we need God, if God's people, if God's people will wake up from spiritual slumber and pray humble themselves and pray. What does it mean to humble ourselves? I think it means to get off our high horses and hobby horses and get on our knees and recognize that life is not about us. Life is not about my comfort or what I think is, is my ultimate Canadian dream. My, my, our lives revolve around God and, and humble ourselves. Like, uh, I don't want to be on the throne anymore. I want God to be on the throne. And bow before God and... Seek his face and pray. What does it mean to pray? It means to get low before God. Also, why does, why does spiritual stagnation and sin crop in? Because people get off their knees and start walking, thinking that we got it figured out. We got, all, we got it all. We're all that. Pray means I get down on my knees and I call out to God for what matters most to God. Forget about praying frivolous things for the world anymore. We, we pray just like the world would pray if they had a little three shots at a genie in a bottle. Don't you find sometimes we pray the same way? But we shouldn't. We pray. We, what's prayer? It says it right here. Seek my face. Here's what prayer is. It's seeking the face of God, seeking the, 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 the God of the universe and wanting nothing more and nothing less than to see the physical manifest presence of God in the world. That's what it means to seek the face of God. And I'm not going to be content 
Just praying, I want to see God. I want to see God move. I want to know the beauty of God. I want my friends and relatives to know the beauty of God too. And look what's next. They'll humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Revival starts as we turn from our wicked ways. What's that mean? I think what it means is what happens every time in history when people walk away from God, they, they, they stop standing out for God and they start engulfing the cultures of what they live in and they start morphing into what everyone else looks like. And before you know it, we as believers can be just as wicked as the world around us. Even though we sing the right songs and we read the right things, in our hearts we can be about all the same things everybody else is about. And we even claim, well, at least Jesus loves me because he forgives me for all my sin, but we don't care about Jesus, we don't care about the sin, we're just living our lives trying to blend in and be all that. And Turn from our wicked ways means that we turn from all the worldliness that infiltrates our minds and hearts and we get serious about the things of our lives, the things that God cares about. And we're not satisfied with empty religion anymore. We're tired of going through the religious motions and only pursuing God for what he can give me instead of for God himself. We're done with self-absorption and low living. It's amazing to me how we have the greatest message in the world and we can claim it off our lips and sometimes our hearts can be so far from it. It's not intentional. Propensity of who we are, we always want to run away from God and not to God. But for revival to happen, you know what it has, it has, to, has to start here in our church. It has to start with, with God's people saying, enough, I'm enough, enough, enough. We just need God again. Help me like love God and walk in God and live in God that the world might see a difference. And I'm not going to be content wasting my life away like the world, only to somehow pull up my ticket for heaven at the end and say, look, I should get in. Which you might find that sucker's invalid because you didn't get the full intent of it in the first place. I'm not going to be content with that any longer. I want to go after God. I want to pray until we see God move. I want to stand out for God. I want God to stand out for people. I want to care about more about other people's souls than what I have going on. I want to pray about salvation. I want to walk in a right relationship with the Lord. For our country to be revived, we have to be revived. We can't be playing church. We can't be not caring about spiritual things. For a country to be revived, we need to be revived. Charles Finney said this, there's going to be no revival in the world until Mr. Wet Eyes and Mr. Amen show up in church again. Here's how Andrew Bonar says it. Revivals begin with God's own people. The Holy Spirit touches their heart anew and gives him new fervor and compassion and zeal, new light and life. And when he has thus come to you, he next goes forth to the valley of dry bones. Oh, what responsibility this lays on the church of God. If you grieve him away from yourselves or hinder his visit, then the poor perishing world around you suffers sorely. 
it's asking God, God, light a fire in our church first and foremost. Light a fire, light a fire, light a fire. A fire that is so bright that others want to gather around and be warmed by it, that you can invite them in to experience it. Being serious about God again is where revival starts. Apathy out, passion in, hunger for his word, desire for the will of God over my own will, asking God to move. When was the last time you stopped and you just, you just prayed for, for not just your own stuff, but for those around you who so desperately need God? When was the last time you stopped and said, God, is there a fire in me? I don't want the fire to go out. You have to stoke that fire. That fire doesn't stay flaming on its own. I think sometimes we'd rather be warmed by the fire than have the fire burn within us. And yet there's no place for revival in that complacent mindset. If my people, if my people, if my people, will God's people embrace this today? Will we embrace this? If my people humble themselves and realize it's about bigger things than me and pray, really pray, really pray, dear Jesus, please, you know, really pray like, like people's souls are on the line and like our country needs God again. And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. It's God's call on us this Canada Day. It's how we celebrate Canada Day, really. It's getting our hearts and minds back on God. But look what happens if we take him up on this challenge. Like, hey, you see this? You realize this? You long for this like God longs for this? God longs for his people to see his face and to turn from their wicked ways. God longs for salvation. Look what it says next. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Then, if you do this, then I will do this. It's, it's a pretty simple clause. Like a parent saying, hey, when you do this, I will do this. God saying, do you want this? I want this, but you need to want this. When you do this, guess what God says? He says, we will hear from heaven. He will hear from heaven, then we will hear from heaven. When God says, I will hear from heaven, here's what, here's what, here's what God means. God, God, God will hear our prayers. God will very much hear our prayers for our country. We like hearing that God will hear my prayers for me, but, but God will also hear our prayers for our country. God is waiting for, for his people to intercede for their country, for the glory of God. God's not the, the father that's up in heaven that's intimidated by the cries of his people. Just like if a good dad hears his kid crying, you're never like, oh, they're, they're crying again. Oh, good for them. Let's see how long we can wait, wait. Let's see how long we'll wait until they stop crying. God's not the God of, in heaven who's like many of us. We only want the good news. Bad news, la, 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 la. Good news is what I want. God's a God in heaven. I love my kids. And when I hear a cry, how many dads, when you hear your kids cry, you drop everything and run? Just me, I guess. I'm the only, only dad that does that. What are the rest of you like? Too bad, kid. <laughs> you guys are mean. <laughs> we all do, Right? I can hear crying in our neighborhood, and I know whether it's my kid or not. You're like, mm. okay, it's not my kid. <laughs> or like, whoop, 
That's mine. Where are they? Your radar goes off. That's, that's God. You start crying out for God to move. You start asking urgently and pleading with God to move. God is going to hear our prayers, and then we will hear from him. The sin puts a ceiling on our prayers, and they don't get to heaven. You get rid of that sin and that channel is opened right up to the throne room of God. When we plead, when we plead, God comes down. What are we pleading for? We're pleading for God to, re, to heal and revive our land. Isaiah 64 verses 1 to 4. Here's what we plead. Here's what God tells us to plead. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains may quake at your presence. As when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, so the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome, when you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence from of old. No one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who who acts for those who wait for him. Does that stir you when you read that? This is a, you know, we, we tell you all this time, well, what do they pray for? Pray the prayers of the Bible. Because we know those prayers are God's will. Doesn't this do something in your soul to even hear that prayer being read? Like, that makes me want to pray this as loud as I can to the Lord. Oh, that you would rend the heavens. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and simply come down that we might see your presence, that the whole world might shake and quake at the reality of the magnitude and the awesome character of our God. That the world would know, even your, when God cut the adversaries run, the people who are for him stand beside him confidently and assuredly, this is my God. I want the world to see that God. Don't you want the world to see that God? We've seen that God by God's grace. God, come is what we're praying. God, come and do what only you can do is, is what this, this passage is calling God's people to do. God, come and, and heal our land. Forgive our sin. Here's what Psalm 85, verses six and seven says. Here's what the psalmist pleads with the Lord. Pleads with the Lord. Again, I think we're good at pleading when it comes to me. When it comes to other people, we'll pray. Oh God, I need you, but I'll pray for you. But pleading, here's what the psalmist pleads with God. Will you not revive us again? Remember, if you're not revived, you are dead. That your people may rejoice in you. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Grant us your salvation. Grant us your salvation. I pray this consistently. I hope you pray this too. God, help us not just to be a church that goes through the motions and sees people coming out to get a little spiritual lift and then go part of it, but let God grant us your power to see salvation in this region, in our country, cause salvation to happen. This is what we exist for as believers. Yes, we see God, but we want the world to know too. It's our mission. This is the heart of God's people, that God would not just forgive our sin, but he'd forgive their sin and your sin. That we might share in the goodness and the love of the Lord together. Revival, revival, revival. We don't hear it much anymore, but it's not an old-fashioned term. It's a biblical term. 
When was the last time you with your family prayed for revival for our country, for God to come and rattle this place, that the world would know God and see Jesus? I know some of you are thinking, okay, this is like, this is pie in the sky, Pastor. This is not going to happen. Maybe in books, maybe in novels, maybe like 100 years ago. It doesn't happen anymore. Really? It doesn't happen anymore? Why do we have history to show us how God works? Everything in history comes back, doesn't it? The things I used to wear in high school that went out of, out of style, they're now back. Yeah, Lord help us, amen. But history does repeat itself, and God shows us in history to show how he acts within history. Do you realize that there have been many revivals here in North America in the last 150 years? First Great Awakening in 1700, Second Great Awakening. There's even been revivals in Canada. No one talks about them, because I guess they weren't as great as the American ones, because they always think they're greater than us, right? But any revival is great, isn't it? There's been revivals in Canada in the last 150 years. There's one I was reading about a while ago that I was reminded of, 1857. It's the Methodist Church's revival in Hamilton. In the mid-1850s, a guy named Dr. Walter Palmer, a physician that turned to become an evangelist, preached revival meetings in Ontario, in Napanee. In 1853, 500 people converted in one meeting. That's a revival. A couple years later in Barrie, 1855, uh, hundreds more came to the Lord. People started hearing about this in Ontario, came all the way down to Hamilton, believe it or not, from Barrie to Hamilton, by horse and buggy, I guess, or telegraph, and 30 people in Hamilton started praying, like, God, if you can do that in Napanee, little podunk Napanee, really? Who stops in Napanee? We just drive through to get to, to Montreal, right? You can cause revival to happen there and in Barrie, which at that time was probably to the north ends of the world. Surely you can do it in Hamilton. So they called 30, 30 men, showed up to pray, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed. At, at Palmer's evangelistic meeting, a thousand people came to Christ at one time, including the mayor of Hamilton. Amazing. Well, that's a cool story. Saskatoon, 1970s, only 50 years ago, 1970s, little, little churches started being aware, becoming aware of their sin and, and not okay with their sin, and, and deacons and the people who came to the church all the time started getting to the front of the church and confessing their sin and open up a whole pile of worms, and yet you know, we confess our sin, get serious about God, God showed up, and people started being changed in the church. That spread like a prairie wildfire outside the church. This revival happened, and, and people were getting saved left, right, and center. This is historically documented, so I'm not making this stuff up. People were getting saved, and lives were being changed. Whole towns were being changed. Churches were springing up stronger than ever. This happens today in our country. Why does it happen now? If my people, what's the first word? If my people grab a hold of my heart and humble themselves and realize that if they have God, they have everything. They don't have God, they have nothing and pray their hearts out. Then I will, they, I will hear and you will hear and God will show up and break through the heavens and revive us again. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of reading about revivals. I want to write a revival by God's grace. I'm not going to write it. God's going to write it, but I'd love to be a part of that novel, wouldn't you? No, maybe so. Yes, no, maybe so. Some of you guys are like, well, I don't know about this. 
What do you mean you don't know about this? Jesus, Jesus isn't just our hope as believers. He's the hope of the nations. He's the hope of the universe. He, he is our only hope. He's everybody's only hope. Have we lost sight of that church? That we're now in our little comfy, cozy little church doing our comfy, cozy little Christian things and we don't care about anyone else anymore? Oh my goodness, if that's where we're at. The greatest longing of our heart is not the Canadian dream. I don't even care about the Canadian dream anymore. It's all going to be gone anyways. It's all going to be gone. Twinkling of an eye, it's gone. It doesn't matter. You're not taking it with you. Here's the, here's the Canadian dream for God's church, that he'd revive us again, that we'd see God move in, un, in unprecedented ways for his glory. This is the dream of the church. And we see the power and the blessing of God again. I don't know about you, but I love Canada. I'm a proud Canadian. Every time I come back, I'm home. Love it. If we love Canada, if we're proud Canadians, here's what we're going to pray. Move in power, Lord, yet again. Here's three things to pray this Canada Day as we think of this verse. Revive us again, O Lord, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray. I will, not I might, not I will think about it. I will hear from heaven. we got to start taking God at his word. And I will forgive their sin, ours and others, and I will heal their land. That would be awesome. Here's how we can pray to this end, that God would actually do this. Here's how we can pray to this. Let's pray to this, that God would reign again in our country. Do you realize that Canada was built on Christian principles? Canada was founded on God and his word and Christian principles. In 1867, Sir Samuel Leonard Tilly, maybe he invented the Tilly hat too, I don't know, was one of, our, was one of the fathers of the Confederation. He was a Christian, and he was inspired by Psalm 72.8 to lead his fellow fathers to call Canada a dominion. Why? Because a dominion is a land ruled by a king, and he was referring to God. And it was even the fathers of our Confederation that had this desire for Jesus Christ to reign over this great land from sea to sea. Our national anthem has God in it. We try and like skip over that phrase pretty quickly, but it's got God in it, right? First verse. Let's sing it together. It's Canada Day. Let's sing it together. I can turn my mic off because you don't want to hear that. <laughs> Let's sing it together. Who can start? Stay standing, stay standing. What do you think they were guarding? 
God, keep our land. God, keep our land. They were guarding their hearts and guarding this country for the Lord. Listen to verse 4 in the historical version of Canada. Then you can sit down, but stand for this one. Here's the historical verse that's never sung. Ruler supreme. Why don't we sing this too instead of me reading it? Let's sing this too. Someone, whoever started us last time, start us again. Now you can sit down. Good job on those high notes, by the way. That was good. But we as God's people need to pray that this would be the reality of our country, that God would reign, that we'd find our help and our hope in him, that we'd be waiting for a better and standing on guard for the things of God. As we watch our country move further and further away from God, we can't stop it. We can't stop it. What do we do? We pray our hearts out. That's the power we have. That's the hope that we have as believers. We need to pray this, that the gospel will return. Not just that God will reign again. The gospel will return. We need Jesus Christ. We need salvation of our sins. We need, we need hope and we need renewed life in him. A return to Jesus is what we need. A proclamation of King Jesus is what we need more than anything else. We need people to become saved. It's not arrogant to think that we have the answer because we didn't come up with the answer ourselves. God gave us his son. He's our only hope. And when the gospel's returned to, we get rid of all even our, our moral things that we're trying to do, we get to the hope of the gospel that Jesus is the one that changes lives, Jesus is the one that does it. There's, there's, there's also a, a, a gospel social reality that permeates the culture. Every revival in history, people came saved in Jesus Christ, and then the outworking of that changed the whole culture. We can't change the culture by petitions and pickets and all those things. We change it as we point people to Jesus Christ who changes people, who changes the way they live life and think and act and see the world. We need to pray that the gospel returns to our hearts as in the most prominent message we can share. It starts here in us. We need to pray the gospel will return. We also need to pray this, that God-fearers will rise up. That God-fearers will rise up. Those that respect and revere and stand in awe of God will rise up and stand as believers in a culture, in a country that is so antagonistic to God. Now, I'm not talking about a social revolt here where we're, we're doing the brave heart thing, like, oh, get them! 
I'm talking that we plant our feet firmly in the word of God. And even though the tide's going this way, we're holding on to each other. We're linking arms up. We're not budging because God's going to stand behind us and hold us there. And we're going to hold on to each other. We're going to stand for the things that God stands for, no matter what implication it's going to have in my life and in my kid's life and on those around me. I'm going to stand for Jesus. As the culture gets harder, here's what generally happens. Those who are truly saved get stronger because they get on their knees and pray harder and God enables them. Those who truly are just kind of in and out fickle, they run away and they're gone. Those who are just here for the benefits of God, they're long gone. They're, they're, like, they're like out in left field somewhere. But the people of God, they stand firm and they, that's when we see God actually moving and doing things in our hearts and our lives that only he can do. We need to pray for courage, brothers and sisters. We need to pray for courage. We need to pray against complacency in our own hearts and say, oh, well, at least we've got freedom and all the great things. And if a country goes to hell in a handbasket, oh, well, at least it's not me. I'm going to heaven. That's not God's heart. We need to pray for courage to stand and fight for the things that matter most for believers. We need to be a light in darkness yet again. Our lives should stand in stark contrast with those in this world. We need to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We need to hold to what he holds to so dearly. We can't waver from the word of God. It's going to get harder, not easier. But if we're going to see revival, we've got to take God at his word. We've got to put our whole faith in him. And we need to start praying like we never prayed before for our country. Oh, Canada, we love it. Thankful for it. But above all, we want to see God in our country again. We want to see God in our country again. I am praying that we as a church won't just bust out of here and go to all our celebrations and go to all the parades and all the, eat all the food and forget about what God wants most in our country, to reestablish himself as king, to have the gospel central and to be built on the word of God. Let's celebrate this candidate by praying to that end now, but even tonight at home with your family. Make it a priority to pray for those who are in leadership, that their hearts will be changed, that those Christians who are in leadership will be strengthened and emboldened to live out the gospel, that we will actually be God's people in a dark land. Let me pray. God, we do thank you this morning for our wonderful, beautiful country. We are in awe as we look around and we see the fingerprints of our God all throughout nature and all throughout the, the beauty of what you've established for us here. Thank you for the freedom that we have to even preach this message in our country. Thank you for the, 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 the resources we have, the, the, the prosperity you've given us. We're grateful for all these things, God. We are so thankful for Canada. But God, deeper than all the things that we're thankful for materially around us, God, we have an urgency for our country to hear the good news of Jesus. We have an urgency, Lord, and a passion to see you move once again and return Canada to its roots and to see you on the throne of this great dominion. God, I pray today that you'd hear our humble prayers. God, I pray you'd work in us deeply as believers, that you would root out the sin and complacency, that, that we'd get serious about our relationship with you. We wouldn't want to be a people, a church, but just 
empty religion in and out of church, but God, we'd be a people who long to see our God and who long to see our God move. Make us a people of prayer, oh God. Give us urgency for those around us who don't know you as, our, as their Savior. Give us urgency for our leaders and for our politicians. And give us urgency to see even the reforms of this country changes into being a country that would seek after the ways of God and live within your mandate for our lives. That's the only way to live. That's the only way to true prosperity and blessing of the soul. Help us, Lord, to separate what worldly blessing is and what godly blessing is. And God, above all else, may we all seek you and seek your face. For God, I've said it a couple times, if we have you, we have it all. We miss out on you, God. We miss out on everything. So drive this sermon, Lord, I pray, deep into our hearts and give us a passion for you and a passion for the people here in Canada that need to know you. In Jesus' name, amen.